What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you are tuned in to Kind of Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in. As always, remember, if you're a weekly listener, please go to patreon.com. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash kind of neat and uh, pledge pledge your support. That is how we support this show. Um, all you got to do is just pledge like a dollar per episode. And uh, if we're on our hustle, that'll be four dollars a month, which is very cheap. It's like every time a podcast comes out, you're just letting me, you know, hold a buck. So if you are not a weekly listener and this is your first time tuning in, just ignore that part. You could have fast forwarded it. You just didn't know better. Also. After four years of doing this show, we have finally gotten into the merch market, so I uh, pressed up some dad hats uh, with the new Kind of Neat logo on them, and you can go to kindaneat.net and uh, click the shop button and purchase one of those. I'm sorry that international shipping is so expensive. That is not my doing. That's just how much it costs to ship. Um, So yeah, I have a few of those left. Cop one while they last, but who am I kidding? I'll, once they sell out, I'm going to re-up them. They're just going to be there. T-shirts will be coming soon, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, okay, so now to the nitty grit. I've clearly taken a long hiatus again, and I know I'm always making excuses for hiatuses on this show, and I apologize, but life be getting in the way. So um, I don't know if I talked about it on the last episode with Ned or not. I can't really remember. It was so long ago, but. At the end of April, I got a call from my mom saying, like, yo, you know, we need to look at memory care facilities and figure out what to do because dad has taken a turn for the worse. And so my brother flew down and we started looking for memory care facilities because um, there aren't really any facilities equipped to handle a case like my father's in Alaska. So Stephen returned home. And within a week, flew back down with my mother and my father, and it was a very strenuous journey to get him down here. And we placed him into a memory care facility, and it has been a very trying time. Um, He actually was removed from the first facility due to resistance to care, like aggression, basically. The facility wasn't really equipped to handle him, and, and we... You know, things took such a sharp turn so quick, which tends to happen with Alzheimer's, where people will be um, pretty plateaued and and evened out for a while. And then something can happen that with their body, we're just like, you take a sharp turn for the worse. And so he took one of those sharp turns and my mom was no longer able to care for him. And she did such an amazing thing. I mean, she just did such an amazing job over the last you know, eight years with him. And so it's not to say like, oh, she gave up. She can't. That's not what it is whatsoever. It's that it's that at a certain point, this disease takes a whole community to care for somebody, unfortunately. And so it was just time to move him out of the house. And uh, I think she was really hoping that she'd be able to do it the whole time. And unfortunately, just like the way that his disease goes or the way that his specific the way his body's handling it, it was not a possibility. So after he got removed from the first one, I'm trying to like say this lightly and I have like a good tone in my voice, but this is the hardest fucking month of my life basically. Uh, and, and it was miserable. It's been a miserable time. It's been a miserable time, miserable time, like seeing my dad going through this. Uh, it's been a horrible time to see my family members have to go through it. Um, it's caused, you know, it's so, so much emotional turmoil in dealing with this. And then 
just with our specific situation, trying to find a facility that was equipped to care for him was such a task and dealing with various just companies uh, are along the way i mean i don't i can't really get into too much detail because it, it gets too hard and and um i mean just know that like this was the fucking hardest month of my life it was terrible i actually had my mom come in um to the studio and we were trying to do another episode you know we've done three episodes with her in the past and the plan was to do like you know we'll just touch on what's been going on for like 20 minutes and then move back on to just kind of like talking about your life and your journey. But it turned into an hour and a half of us talking about what we've been going through and me just crying like the whole fucking time. And so, you know, I try to be as revealing and honest with, with folks as I can on this show. And, and in my like, that's kind of that's my brand, you know, like my social media presence is to try and like be honest, you know. But this was a little too honest and I decided not to put it out because it was a lot of details. And, you know, I think my mom rightfully had her trepidations about whether or not, you know, a bunch of strangers needed to be hearing that. And and so, you know, she's right. And I didn't want to I don't think you guys need to go through that. Just hearing me fucking sob on air for an hour and a half. It was it was a lot. Um, But, you know, after just being so depressed and you know hopeless the whole month of may the good news is that after getting removed from the first place and having a stay in a hospital for a while while we figured out the next move we do have my dad in a new facility that seems to be very positive about caring for him and and actually on the drive here i was i was in on a group uh, a conference call about his care plan and people were saying like relative to other residents at the facility like my dad's a joy actually like despite the fact that he is resistant to care occasionally like most of the time he's like pretty fucking just easy to handle and rad to be around and it got dark there was a time where i didn't think i was going to see him walk again at a certain point because like his physicality has changed so much but just in the last couple of weeks of being at this new place like you know he's getting in and out of chairs on his own and walking around and stuff and you know i said it before but it's at a point where you know he doesn't really string together sentences anymore or coherent thoughts or you know a lot of it is kind of a mishmash of gibberish words but he's still trying to communicate he's trying like he wants to talk you know and he wants to relay ideas that hit his head but it's just the the synapses are not firing the right way anymore so you know talking with him about anything formative is just a complete impossibility right now which is devastating it's devastating to see this but you know like i said the good news is he's now safely being cared for in a place that is treating him with dignity and um and it's a big relief because there was a while where we're like what are we gonna fucking do it didn't seem like we were gonna be able to find a place um because his combination of his size and his youth and his resistance to care a lot of places are unwilling to do are unwilling to take cases like that and at that point it's like what what the fuck do you do as a family you know it's it was a hard choice So anyway, hopefully that wasn't too vague or too specific, but that's how I spent my month of the end of April and my month of May and into June. I did some other shit too. Like I had to go to Austin at one point. I went to New York at another point for jobs. And the whole time I was there, just terrified to hear any bad news. Um, 
despite the month being so hard, the silver lining is that we survived. You know, my family made it out through the other side. You know, my dad's close to me now. He's only about a half hour drive away, so it's not that bad. You know, I'm going to have to like get into the routine of going to visit and check in and it's been very difficult so far because what i found is that when i go visit i'm fucking wrecked for that day so like i can't go on a work day because i just cannot get any work done afterwards like i am a mess afterwards because you know i i was a grown adult not living in the same state as him when he got diagnosed and i haven't been the eight years that we've known like i've been down here doing my thing and just calling and trying to help my mom on an emotional level how I can. And, and I've gone home and cared for him on my own, you know, four or five times where, I, where I've gone up to kind of like, you know, babysit. I'll never forget one time, you know, we had this moment where he walked into my room. Like he, he was on to the fact that I was there to babysit, you know, like that he couldn't be there by himself. He'd be like, where's your mom at? Why? Why doesn't she leave me here alone? You're here because you're you think you're you you think you have to watch me or something. You know, he was like still ha- would have these moments of cognizance, even though the whole day he would spend going, where's your mom again? Where is she again? Where's she at? You know, um, you know, he walked into my bedroom one night at like three in the morning and uh, and woke me up. And I was like, hey, well, I'm like, what's up? And he's like, well, you know, I was watching something and. You know, I'm just wondering, like, do you think what they think? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, do you think that I'm sick? And I go, well, what do you think? Like, what what do you mean? He's like, you know, do you think that I have Alzheimer's? And I was just like, didn't know how to answer because everything that I've been told or read or trained about it is like, you know, just like validate their feelings and try to redirect questions or whatever but i didn't know how to respond like everything inside of me wanted to be like yeah man like fucking acknowledge it and and like help us like you know like understand um but i was just like i don't know what do you think and he's like i don't think i have anything and that was the end of that (laughs) and he went back to sleep but the point of it is it's good like we're good my mom's going home uh, because like, you know, if there was a while where we're like, oh fuck, like you're going to just have to move down here now. Like, uh, it looks like there, we're always going to be on the risk of, or on the verge of a disaster and you're just going to have to live here. But now things have gotten to a point where it seems even keel enough to where she's going to fly home and handle business and bills and stuff. And then, and, and be kind of back and forth, you know, and I'll, I'll be the like primary point of contact down here. If anything were to happen, I'm, I'm only a short drive away. Um, so yeah, that's a, it's a very new phase in my life and it has been causing a ton of stress and a ton of depression and has been affecting other aspects of my life. I've, you know, I'm, I haven't been in a very good mood or a good mental space or emotional place and I'm trying to figure out how to recalibrate basically because I'm, I know now that it is very, you know, Despite as much as I talk about my dad's sickness and despite having, you know, (laughs) having it be a part of my ongoing life, knowing about it, like it's still been a thing where it's an eight hour flight away or a 10 hour flight away and I only have to see it occasionally and it's hard and, you know, 
but I don't have to deal with it on a visceral level. And now it's like in my face and it's here and it's close to me. And, you know, when I go see it, it's fucking terrible. It's, it's so hard. I would never wish this on my worst enemy. And so that's why the show has been quiet, but you know, we're going to get through it and, uh, it'll be back to business as normal, as normal as it can be. And I just got to kind of like figure out new ways to calibrate my own sickness, my own depression. I have to just figure out new coping mechanisms and new ways to kind of regulate my body chemistry because I think that it's been winning pretty bad this month and I got to get back into the swing of like my routines that help it. I've been so busy trying to help my mom and my brother figure out what the fuck to do that I haven't taken care of myself at all. So I guess this is my little vow to myself that like, you know, time to partake in some self-care and, and do better. So anyway, today on the show, we have Ivy soul. Ivy soul is someone who ties into a previous episode because I I talked about her on the Dave B episode because the way that I've actually got around to listening to Dave B was through uh, a feature on an Ivy soul record back in February. Like, I'd heard Dave B's name before uh, because of Seattle Friends, but I hadn't really peeped. And then I heard his feature on her song, Life, and was like, wow, these two are both so wonderfully talented, you know? And uh, so she happened to be taking a road trip out to Los Angeles, and I caught her while she's here. It was just lovely. She's such a talented and smart person um, with just, I mean, such a great contextual view of of history of america's history and um i mean it was just a conversation that i needed to have and it was very uh it was just pleasant i don't know like she's just a fucking pleasant person so that's tight and beyond that she has a beautiful singing voice and has very poetic bars and i think you guys are gonna like her this kind of conversation is a conversation that i love to have right in my wheelbox of just like current events and also you know her own personal emotional journey and i think you guys are going to become fans of her so go check out kind of neat.net and look at the video of ivy soul performing Without further ado, I'm going to get right into my conversation after this long 20-minute intro. Here's my conversation with Ivy Soul. Is this your first time out in L.A.? No, this is actually my third time in L.A. Oh, I, you're like a local. Hi, basically. <laughs> um, third time in L.A., I came out here early in 2016 uh-huh. to just visit. Like, uh, like I have a couple of friends from college who um, live out here now. Uh-huh. And then uh, this past December yeah, came through um, also mostly just to visit people, just to like soak up some vibes and get away from the east coast and Mm -hmm. this time is mostly business Mm -hmm. so like meeting with a couple labels meeting with um pr agencies Mm -hmm. getting some actual like music done Mm -hmm. getting some music work done and then also 
getting off the East Coast because the East Coast can get a little. What part of the East Coast? Philadelphia? Is that where you still live? I'm still, yeah, I'm still living in Philly. Okay. Not originally from Philly, but that's Where are you that's originally from? Originally from Charlotte, North Carolina. North Carolina. Mm-hmm. I've been, Charlotte, North Carolina, one of the best airports in the country, I would say. It is. It actually won an award for it. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, it's a fantastic airport. What's life in Charlotte like? Like, how long were you there? Uh, born and raised. Yeah. So, conception. To, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> to 18. Yeah. Oh, um, so you dipped for college. I dipped for college. Yeah. Went to Philly for college. What school in Philly? The University of Pennsylvania, actually. Oh, UPenn. That's like that's like damn near an Ivy League school, isn't it? It is an Ivy. League. It is an Ivy. Um, I, I, it doesn't. We don't think of ourselves as a very Ivy League, though. I right. don't think. Right. I think that we're. I mean, we're we're known as the social Ivy. Okay. Well, like, so you guys are smart folks that like to party. Precisely. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> smart partying. So, tell me a little bit about Charlotte before we get into the college stuff. Yeah. So I grew up, um, a little bit all over Charlotte. Uh, my mom kind of moved with with her jobs um and to where the best schools were uh-huh. so i started like i was born on the west side of charlotte uh-huh. uh the west side is known for be, being a little bit hood uh-huh. uh being a little bit ratchet um but it has a lot of like of the cultural like was, i think it has some of the strongest culture in uh, charlotte went to the north side for middle I mean, school let's be honest like m- most of the best culture in America comes from places that would be labeled the hood. Indeed. All West, all pop Western music, you know, comes yeah, from man. the hood. But anyway, Yeah, proceed. like, um, so North, like, went to the North Side for middle school. Uh-huh. Went to, um, like, a really small, like, insular, like, very supportive middle school called well, so Davidson is IB. The, is the North Side, uh, is that, like, the more uh, um, affluent part of Charlotte? Okay, so Super. you're getting bussed from the West Side to the North Side. So it's funny. Yeah. Um, so North... And South uh-huh. are where the most affluent people in Charlotte live. Okay. And then the East and the West side are where, like, most of the impoverished people live. Okay. So, um... And is it a pretty segregated... Is it pretty, like, segregated city? Like, there's not a lot of, like, melting pot feeling to it or what? It's definitely not melting pot. Yeah. I don't think that many cities in truth are melting pots. Right, Even, I like, agree. even in... Even New York or Los yeah, Angeles, like, they're not. They're, like... There are small enclaves where it happens, but it isn't, like... Like Charlotte in and of itself is not a melting pot, okay. um, and to be honest, the the city itself like isn't very supportive supportive of minority youth um, of education. Yeah, slowly but surely getting its way back to like some of the the great things that Charlotte is known for. Like Charlotte was the first one of the first cities to in, like bus for inter- integration. Okay, um, like there's like a really cool documentary about it and everything. But um, what's it called for people to? Uh, I, of course, it's going to escape me That's now. Okay. But um, yeah, do, Google Harding High School okay. uh, integration, and you should be able to find like plenty of stuff on it. Um, but yeah, so North Side for middle school actually spent only a semester on the East Side. Uh, I went to high school at East Mac High School, Go Eagles, for a, my freshman like fall, uh-huh. and then my mom was like, "Wait, I hate the East Side. Let's go to the South Side." And then I went to another high school for the remainder of my time. Um, but, like, spent inordinate amounts, <laughs> inordinate amounts of time on the, the west side throughout because that's where my, my paternal grandmother lived. Okay. Um, also spent a lot of time on the west side because I was doing um, or I was playing AAU basketball and all of our practices were there. Um, and a lot of my friends who I met either through uh, church when I was younger or through um academic camps because my mom was super 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 intent on like building the intellectual 
part of my brain. Um, yeah, a lot of my friends from these programs lived on the West Side as well. So, nice. like, my my life was really centered around the West Side of Charlotte in a lot of ways. Okay. Uh, okay, so there's a lot of to unpack and a lot of questions that I have then about all that. Weird. So, you mentioned your mom a lot. Yeah. Didn't mention dad. Yeah, my dad, uh, I mean, I was raised primarily by my mom. Okay. My, my father is... A relative, or was a relatively consistent figure, yeah. but just not in the most positive ways. Okay, um, like it, like I think as a young person, um, one of the things that you you desire from your parents is just support, and like that, just support just wasn't there. Um, right. To the, from the time when I, when I was extremely young to probably my middle school years, like I would go to his house you know, like pretty consistently, maybe like once or twice a month for weekends. Mm -hmm. And then we just fizzled out because, you know, as a young person, you get busier, Mm -hmm. but also like he wasn't making the effort. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, as I was getting busier, it wasn't like those moments where like, I, like it wasn't, it wasn't like he couldn't have been involved in those moments. He just chose not to, unfortunately. Um, And I like our relationship, like we just, it isn't very present. Like, you know, I get calls on holidays. Right. My birthday was last month, so I got a call then. Happy but like, belated. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I think my mom really did step up, and I didn't really feel a void of parental presence or feel a void of, like, father figureness because I had so many mentors in so many different facets of my life, whether it be through some of my music teachers or my coaches or like like teachers when i was like in um in actual school so yeah like i like for sure like there was like a bit of a yeah a gap but like i i think i was more than supported and filled in other ways we have a an ongoing theme on this show and we we hit the nail on the head very early where i just always i just really have this uh hypothesis that great artistry comes from uh dad issues you know because like <laughs> Everyone, uh, myself included, everyone that I or like, I, I would say like on this show, uh, the norm is like my dad's, my dad and I's relationship was kind of strange, and then and then the outliers are the ones who are like, I had a really healthy home life. I'm like, wow, that's crazy, and you went on to be a, uh, an artist. <laughs> like that's tight. Yeah, no, I just uh, I think that it's. In- I think I, I, I agree. Yeah, like yeah. I think sometimes I think it's like a pretty consistent thing that I feel like many people that I know have weird issues with their parents, not even just their dads, like just like parents in general. And like, those are the people whose music and art and film and et cetera just seem to like latch on to me. Um, But I don't know. I feel like because both of my parents are extremely musical anyway, uh, that it's very possible that I would have ended up here. Right. But maybe my subject matter would be different. Maybe like I would be like engaging with the world in a different way. But I'm also, like, kind of happy with the way that things turned out, you know? Like, I like, personally, like, the music that I'm making. Right. I like the the perspective that I have on the world right now. Like, perhaps the creativity still would have been there, but the worldview just would have been a little different. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. I feel that. Uh, so, then you said your mom, uh, or like, that you guys would kind of travel through the city depending on where your mom was working. What, what kind of work was she doing? So, my Andrew? mom is a sales rep, actually. Okay. Um, for one of the biggest... Um, utility companies in North Carolina. Nice. Um, and sometimes, like, she'd, like, move offices or, like, um, it would just be easier for her to, like, access, like, where like where her 
like her geographic area that she was responsible for if we moved to a different place. But like for all intents and purposes, it was also because she wanted me to go to the absolute best school right. that I could possibly go to, right. me and my younger sister. So while you guys maybe moved from uh, apartment complexes just to like shorten the commute time, w- was the paternal grandparents kind of the home base then or what? No. Or her, uh, so yeah. I, because like, so my father also um, like w- like uh, my, so my parents aren't traditionally educated right. my mother just got her bachelor's degree in 2014 oh shout out to mom graduating yeah, no, my mom college was lit. um but my dad he barely graduated high school right. so he like often would either be staying with my grandmother or would be staying with another one of like my like my paternal family members okay. whether that be my great aunts or like his sisters or whatever so and all of them lived concentrated on the west side. Right. So like when I was visiting him, sometimes it was visiting him in his own home, but uh-huh. it was often visiting my grandmother. Okay. Um my paternal I mean my maternal grandmother, Ruby, who um my first project is actually dedicated to, uh-huh. um, she lives in a, a rural area like just south of Charlotte. Okay. It's called uh Waxhaw, it's uh-huh. Union County. Um and that I spent I probably spent equal amounts of time on the west side and in this very rural area because my mom, obviously, she would trust her mother right. or anybody else's. Right, totally. Um, and also, like, I come from an extremely big family. My mom is one of 13. Oh, so, wow. like, mad cousins, like, and most of them were still in that area when we yeah. were growing up. So, But are you an only child? No, I have one younger sister. A younger sister? Yeah, I have one younger sister, and then I have three older step-siblings from wow. my dad. Yeah. Damn, 13. So, like, birthday gifts and Christmas must have just been crazy, like, mad I, mad gifts to open. Yeah, it, it was fun because I don't think that that's something that happens very often anymore. Right. Like, it's super. It's kind of still kind of normal in the South to, yeah. like, have, at least for my mom's generation, to have, like, several. Right. Well, yeah, so in my family, it was two generations ago. My grandmother comes from uh, a family of nine, yeah. which is a lot. But I, But then, like, you know— my mom only comes from a family of three, so it's like yeah, it's crazy. Um, I just like I love having a lot of cousins. Like it, we ha- like we have such a wealth of experience, right? Like such a, a a breadth of actual ages. Like my oldest first cousin is like forty one, right? And my youngest first cousin, I think he he can't be more than like eight, right? So it's just like yeah, that's so cool. I mean, family gatherings must have just been like huge. It was lit. Affairs. It was lit yeah. before my before my grandmother passed away. Like we used to really like all convene at her house right and we'd all be there and i think that that was really special i, I definitely value that as um someone who i feel like family is super important to me yeah so like being able to like recreate that in the future hopefully with like my friends like my chosen family right. or even like my blood family like being able to do that is really really important absolutely um you also mentioned that both of your parents are musical in what sense so my mother is an outstanding singer yeah. she uh honestly probably should have been like an opera singer or like oh, wow. in gospel um it's funny like something that kind of like drives my like drives my creativity and drives my productivity as far as music is concerned is the fact that she wasn't actually allowed to do a lot of what she wanted to do um my grandfather apparently was this like super controlling like very protective force so that he was like i would rather you guys not be like all over the state doing these competitions like 
many of my aunts and uncles were extremely talented athletes, extremely talented musicians, extremely talented in like a plethora of ways. Uh But my grandfather was like, I'd rather you be close to home. I don't want anything to happen to you. This is still, you know, the 60s, 70s, 80s, like rural area. So like, I'm afraid for you to go out into the world. I would rather keep you close. But my mom like was doing singing competitions, like on the sly and like, doing like um like performing at church obviously was like something that everybody could do but she was like the best singer like in the county and definitely could have had the opportunity to be an amazing gospel singer an amazing opera singer even if she like she's not really i don't think she would probably do secular music but like she she could she can blow anybody out of uh out of the park really yeah and uh my dad is also an amazing vocalist um so i i grew up in in the church with them singing right separately but like right. them singing yeah so like both like i think that i have to give at least for the talent equal um equal credit to both of them for giving me at least partially my voice and then my mom for helping to cultivate music as like a, a constant right. way to express yourself right because you do have a beautiful singing voice as well that you utilize on your records and i, I was I, yeah you're welcome and i was curious actually before we you even started to, uh, talking about church if that was kind of like cultivated in the church absolutely yeah i think that i'm pretty run-of-the-mill as far as like how i got into music right. i think my mom made me take music lessons so i was well, i wouldn't say that's around the mill i don't i, th- I think violin. i think that's like lost now like a, not a lot of parents uh, you'd be surprised not a lot of people that sit in that seat tell me that their parents forced them to take lessons really yeah oh man yeah. i do hear a lot of like oh i learned to sing in the church but not like i got formally trained you know oh yeah and so my mom my mom is my mom i think she read it in like a magazine or she heard it from a friend that mm-hmm. make like teaching a child music makes them really good at math mm-hmm. and she wants she wanted me to be a doctor, right. so she was like, "This is how I need to get her to be a doctor." Right, learn the piano. So be it. Yeah. So I play Probably piano. Probably really good at tap- typing now too. Then no, I'm actually pretty fire. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, I took uh, piano for about eight years. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Transition to like band instruments because drumline came out, and I was like, I just need to be. That's I need the, to be in somebody's marching band. Best Nick Cannon movie. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> Easily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I started playing clarinet and did some more orchestral stuff, so like bassoon, um, oboe, stuff like that. Wow. Um, and it, if if you learn to pick up the oboe, since it's a woodwind, is it something where you could just pick up other woodwinds and kind of figure it out? Yeah, like pretty much. Like you could much. probably play saxophone? I, I ha- like I, I've fooled around with it, yeah. and like right now I'm out of practice, but if I I feel like if I shut myself in a room for like they call um, that two or three months. Yeah, if Shedding. I shed. If you shed, yeah. If I did shed, yeah, no. Um I think I could, yeah. Right. I think, I mean, like, I think a lot of things are transitive. So, like, a lot of woodwinds, like, you could probably just make it happen. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, so I was also in choir and did praise, like, praise team, you know. It's super, it's like, for me, it's like every Southern musician that I know. Right. Is like, yeah, I I sang in church. Right. Like my mom made me do this, and then totally. I kind of started liking it. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty much. Yeah, like like the area that you're from is probably very. That's probably a very common story. But then, like when you get in these like city hubs, uh, like yeah. it's not as common. I, I don't guess. Think. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I I should believe you. I believe you yeah. in saying that right. I, I'm unique. I'll take it. Uh, I, yeah, please. You are a, you are a unique. <laughs> I don't want to say snowflake because that has such a <laughs> that's such a has such a terrible connotation yeah. now. Um, so. 
it's like despite your parents not having um, formal education, as you talked about, it sounds like your mom was pretty intent on making sure to cultivate your um, intellectual abilities. But so how and I would imagine like getting um, living in the West Side and getting uh, bus to the North Side for school. Like, was it a magnet school? It was. OK, so like at what age did people start kind of realizing like, oh, Ivy's really smart? Um, It was like so the way that schooling or like public school works in charlotte mm-hmm. is that you take a test when mm-hmm. you're in third grade mm-hmm. and basically they decide whether or not you're going to college or not it wow. for, for all intents and purposes like that's yeah. they try to make it seem like that's not what they're doing but i think we all know that like if you're taking a, a test in the third grade you're you're trying to weed people out and it's not like the itbs test or like some national standard test it's just like a specific no it's like a it's a test that basically it, it tests iq yeah it tests like how you're reacting to like sh- shapes and patterns and tests like how far ahead are you with reading and math uh-huh. and um i've been reading since i was like two or three um and doing pretty pretty high level um math with my mother because yeah. my mom was super intent um for a while so i actually skipped kindergarten wow so i took the test and they were like oh no she's yeah. She needs to be in talent development, like right. our talent development program. And that was basically a feeder into the International Baccalaureate program, so okay. the IB program. So from there, people were like, all right, let's just go ahead and like make this happen. Nice. Um, which is cool, but I also feel kind of like iffy about it because I know plenty of kids who could have like probably benefited more from the attention that I was getting, you know? Right. So like it's like this weird... Like I work in higher education now, uh-huh. so to see that like all that was poured into me could have been poured into someone who actually like needed to be poured into right. is like a weird because you were dissonant. probably so self motivated with it, whereas the some people that get left behind they exactly. have they have that intelligence but it's internalized where like maybe that traditional education doesn't work for them exactly. but then they become like crazy independent salesmen like that here's the thing is like. Drug dealers are the smartest fucking people I've ever like that you ever meet. You know what I'm saying? Like they those are like strong independent businessmen, but like maybe they don't take the school and the way they they get left behind very early. You so know? yeah, like e- either you're not being cultivated right. and you're being bored out of your fucking mind exactly. from what you're being given, right? Or you just need a little bit of extra help to get where everybody like. There's there's really no two buts about right. it. Like it, everybody has the potential to to learn and to like have their intellectualism like grown you ever listen do you ever listen to podcasts mm-hmm. you, you listen to malcolm gladwell's revisionist no, history but i do love malcolm gladwell Yo, i love malcolm gladwell too you seem like someone that would love malcolm gladwell <laughs> low-key just Shout how you talk yeah amen dude uh i love malcolm gladwell his podcast revisionist history i've shattered it out on here more than once mm-hmm. but he, had, he did a whole three-part series on uh education system in uh places of economic disparity and how sometimes like some of the smartest people like geniuses on an Einstein type level are getting left behind in areas of economic disparity simply because of like family situations and schooling situations. And there's just no opportunity, you know, there's literally so many variables that could have easily taken my life down a different path. Right. Like I actually talk about it on the new record West. Like, like I, it's very likely that I could be either dead in jail Right. Um, destitute, uh, like selling drugs on drugs. Like there are so many things that could have led me down a different path. If like literally 
if one thing in the balance. That's what I was going to kind of bring up. I mean, that, that all ties into the systematic racism of America, obviously, and the fact that uh, black people in America just are allotted fewer opportunities in general. But in order to have a story like yours where you have um, been able to move out of state, go to an Ivy League school, uh, are, have you graduated? Yeah. Graduated, moved on to working in higher education. Like You have probably had to be such a perfect person like more so than any white person would ever have to be it's funny that you say that because like i think a lot of what people don't understand about privilege is that i i knew from a very early age that i if i messed up then like i was going to lose out on so much more than if i was just run of the mill like Mm -hmm. completely focused like I was a kid. Like, I wanted to be, like, shooting the shit. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, like, skip school. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be, like, at the parties. But, like, right. a combination of, like, really amazing parenting and, like, uh, people both, like, pouring into me with academics but also, like, me finding some of my confidence in academics. Like, that's, that combination, that's the only reason why I'm here today. Mm-hmm. Like, if people don't find value not only in academics, but, like, in intellectualism in themselves, if they don't believe that they're an intellectual being, if they don't believe that, like, academics are important and can propel you to the life that you want to live, if you don't think, yo, like, by doing this algebra, it's going to bring me closer to, like, my ultimate goal, then mm-hmm. there's no way that they're going to, like, invest in it. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, like, if, like, people are consistently telling you that you're bad at something, either via grades or, like, if you're like joking in class and you get kicked out or suspended or like if you're constantly in detention, if you're if your teacher just decides that like you they don't like you, mm-hmm. like they're not going to like that student is not going to invest in their education. But in addition, they're going to look for other places for valid- validation. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And and can excel in things in a negative light that will provide that validation, whether, you know, like, yeah. I, I obsess over these things and I don't want to go too deep into it right now, but I do. Well, I, okay. So I have, um, there was one sentence that you said that I just want to unpack a little bit. Like you, you said, um, you realized at a very early age that you needed to be just better and, and more perfect in order to, to succeed. So like, w- what were um, some of the things that led to that re- revelation? Like, did you have experiences uh, uh, at an early age of like outward racism that like uh, that white people would never even understand, you know? Yeah. I mean, when so I went to a magnet elementary school on the west side. Right. It's called Beringer Academic Center. Uh-huh. And right when we were getting to the point where we were being like split between talent development and not, yeah, um, one of my close friends actually didn't get picked. Mm. And like I was so confused. I was like asking my mom, and she was like, "Well, like it might be that like not enough, like not all of you can be in those classes." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "All of us? Like why?" Why can't she be in the, like, we're mm-hmm. both smart. Like, I don't get it. She was like, I mean, like, there are a lot of white people. Like, there's a lot of white students and their student, they don't, their parents are not going to let them mm-hmm. be in the regular classes. They want all the white kids to be in the talent development classes. They mm-hmm. want them to go on to the international baccalaureate program or the AP program, get into college, make money. But like, even that early, my mom was like, hey, like, you, you're, you, you're not, the norm Mm -hmm. for them Mm -hmm. like you you're normal to me because i know all black children can be brilliant Mm -hmm. but like to them it's you you might just be one of one like you might be like this special little nugget that they're plucking and trying to save and like right like 
that. I can't even imagine the microaggressions that you must have experienced during your time. Like, was the the school in the north side was a mostly white school? Or absolutely, there were. So the, the school itself was like 250 kids. It, would you hear stupid shit like, you're not like other black people that I've met? Absolutely. Or, you're yeah. not like other black people. You 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 talk so well. Like, right. you're not hood. Oh, you're or so like, well-spoken. Yeah, like, right. you know, it's like a very weird thing that it, it starts that early. Uh-huh. Like that people, like people as early as 11, 12, 13 have like a schema for what a black person is supposed to be. And right. if you fit outside of that, but you're very aware and like proud or like, invested in your blackness like Mm -hmm. it's a very it's a dissonant thing to Mm -hmm. deal with for sure so one of the things i was also curious about um uh, growing up in the church uh and well hearing your songs now i hear you talk about falling in love with a woman uh, and so i kind of assumed that you were queer and I wonder if your church identity ever conflicted with your sexuality um or if you ever caught flack in that community for that I think that I was super, super fortunate in that I kind of was—I didn't really come into my sexuality until after I had already graduated from high school. Okay. So up until that point, I was super involved. But then, like, in high school, started realizing, like, oh, like, that doesn't really resonate with me as much as I would hope. Mm-hmm. Like, all these things that I've been learning, all this, like, very beautiful but very, like, somewhat bigoted things, like, it's starting to become— weird mm-hmm. um and then when i got to college i pretty much stopped going to church altogether mm. um because i was like learning growing like starting to understand myself mm-hmm. outside of charlotte outside of the church outside of the very limited interactions that i had with queerness in general mm-hmm. and penn's an extremely liberal campus like mm-hmm. people are out are just out here doing whatever the fuck right <laughs> it was great yeah to like learn and to watch and to like experience it but it was also very formative like uh-huh. Being able to be comfortable as a black queer woman, uh-huh. um, being able to, like, learn even, like, the theories about womanism and, like, the Audre Lords and the the Bell Hookses of the world, like, that being poured into me through, through the Africana Studies program at Penn. Um, yeah, I think, I think I was lucky in that, like, I didn't feel any of that pressure when I was in high school and was able to, like, kind of flourish and, like, really come into my own in college was it something that it where it wasn't really an issue because you were closeted and weren't letting people in on that or or like were you open about it or had you not realized i I mean i don't don't even know how yeah i don't think i had like fully realized it yet yeah you know like i think that like because i wasn't being interrogated in that way right like like at penn people were like oh like what is your sexuality and like before then i was like what do you mean like i'm straight like of course i'm straight but then it was like what well damn i guess (laughs) <laughs> I guess I'm not as straight as I thought. Like, you know That's what I so mean? That's so funny, yeah. Um, and, yeah, like, I also knew that, like, for the most part, like, I wasn't going, like, like I wasn't going to present, like, super masculinely. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm in this, like, weird androgynous space. But, totally. like, I wasn't, like, outwardly, like, I want to present masculinely. So it made it a lot easier to, like, just kind of live as... A, a feminine presenting woman, right, you know? Right, right. Um, whereas, like, I did have friends or classmates who were presenting masculinely and being ridiculed mm. for it often or being kind of shunned from their families. So, like, probably, like, subconsciously, I was like, well, like, you're not—you you don't want to do that anyway, so, mm. like, why even do that and run the risk of 
a whole gambit of issues coming along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a little bit just about, um, I don't even know if the proper term is intersectionality, but like just the, in in being a queer black woman, like, I I mean, you're, you're catching the, the, uh, oppression and, and and fucking, uh, um, prejudice from every single aspect. Because not only are you black, you're also a woman and now you're gay as well. Like, like, these are all three things that are that are people that are just constantly shit on in America. Like, what is that? I don't even know what the question is, but other than like, <laughs> how, how do you cope with that? How, what do you I do? I think that yeah. community is one of the most beautiful things yeah. about being a black person, um, being a black woman, yeah. and then being a black queer woman. Like, mm-hmm. I think that I don't. I don't think that I would be able to survive life without the community that I found, both mm-hmm. with other people who are queer but also like with black people and i think that i've been extremely extremely blessed to go to penn because like the majority of my um my friends like who i would call my chosen family like nobody is asking me to be anything but what i am you Mm -hmm. know um politically it's very maddening Mm -hmm. to be completely honest because like they're just there's just so much shit going on yeah. Especially at this moment. Like, I was literally talking to um, my homie Keyshawn about it. Um, shout out Keyshawn. Shout out to Keyshawn. Uh-huh. And, like, it just seems like every single day there's something new that's an attack on one of these identities, you know? Absolutely. Um, and trying to figure out how to achieve liberation through music, but through activism, through, like, making choices outside of the framework of capitalism. Like, it's so overwhelming, but, like also completely worth it because like i hope that like for this next generation and for our generation for sure i want to see some of the fruits of our labor now Mm -hmm. so like that's what kind of keeps me afloat the other thing that i just can't imagine having to deal with so much is like the constant questioning of like why oh well why do you deserve this or why do you why do you think that uh I, I okay. So touching back a second ago, uh, uh, when I said like all popular Western music comes from the Afri- African American community, right? I firmly believe that. And so, like, kind of my as a white dude, my thing that has made me so uh, steadfast and compassionate, and just like I, I try to, I try to tell white people like, "Yo, you guys are fucked up" as much as I can, because like I love music so much and i recognize the roots of music where i'm like oh we exploit and love and take advantage of black music so frequently so to to have to hold any like um outward racism it seems so hypocritical and i understand that everybody has impl- implicit biases and stuff like that but you know so so when i hear people talk about like um well, why is Colin Kaepernick mad? Or like, well, why why do they have to say Black Lives Matter? Like, they're the only ones that matter. And you, then you have to go through and explain that, like, no, it means, like, also, like, they want a, a piece of the pie, the same piece of the pie that you want. Like, why is that so offensive to you? So I, I, I know that just talking to my own friends and family about this can be tiring and frustrating just for me, uh, uh, someone that just reads a lot and that doesn't even have to experience it. So I can't imagine how exhausting it must be uh, for a black woman to have to have those conversations so frequently. Yeah. I, I honestly let try to let the music speak for itself. Mm -hmm. I also, um, I'm not, I'm not afraid to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Like I'm very, like I don't, I'm not afraid to say that when I'm not well-versed on a subject Mm -hmm. and to point people to resources that I feel like 
will do a better job of explaining it than I will because mm-hmm. it's very likely that I'm just going to get mad at you and right. not actually want to engage with you at all. Which is so funny because that's a natural human emotion. It's like it's frustrating for someone to not understand you and anger is like the natural human reaction. But in your case, like the, it's the it's the infamous like white people quote of like, oh, she's an angry black woman. And it's like you have that little empathy to understand that like not being understood is frustrating. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I think I also just think that like it's it must be hard to to hear. Yeah, y'all fucked up. Right. Like I, I know when like when I'm being told that I fucked up, like my honest first reaction is like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not fucked up. And right. then I have to think about it. And I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah, maybe. OK. Okay, right. okay, fine, fine, right. fine. So, like, to hear, like, you're a part of this larger system, to hear that you're a part of this larger framework, that must be very disconcerting. Right. The issue lies when people are, like, adamantly against even considering mm-hmm. that it could be a possibility. Mm-hmm. So, like, when pe- for example, when people are like, slavery was 400 years ago, I'm like, cool, fine, slavery was 400 years ago. However... Do you remember sharecropping? Mm-hmm. Do you remember Jim Crow? Mm-hmm. My my family, like my family, right. is like that wasn't long ago. Prob- my mother, like my your, mother, your my grandmother, mother, great grandmother remembers that. My my grand my my great grandparents were sharecroppers. Right. My 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 grandmother and grandfather were farmers who were paid significantly less than white farmers in order to like subs- sustain themselves. Right. My parents, like my my mother and her siblings, grew up in Jim Crow. Like I. Like this isn't far for us. Like right. this isn't this isn't ancient history. This is not the Romans or the Greeks. This is my mama. Right. Like imagine your mama oh, I, yeah. dealing with what like what you read about and what you look at in movies and then tell me that like it can't not happen in this current that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's like saying um so like saying 9/11 had no bear, like will have no bearing on the next generation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like Think about what you just said. Right. There's no way. Right. There's there's literally no way. Right. That's like, ch- it's changed everything. I mean, we're it's still cha- in a, we're it's in literally a, changed everything. We're in a war now, still since then, the longest running war because of 9/11. That's the excuse they use. So, like, for people to be like, "Hey, like, you guys should just get over it." It's like, right. Get over. Get over. Get over what? Like, it never right. stopped. It just changed names. Yeah. Like, it changed forms. Like the method changed, yeah. but like the the underlying. System is still the system. How does the South and the North differ in just like um, sociologically and what you've experienced? Because um, here's what I here's one thing that I want to just like make a hypothesis about. In the South, I feel like there's still some pretty like outwardly racist shit. In the North, people try to pretend that it's not that way, and they don't use the term racism. I always hear people say like, "Oh, you know, she's prejudice." It's funny that you say that because I, I, I have this conversation often yeah. with people who yeah. um, don't really understand what the South is, especially if you haven't spent significant time there. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people will be like, well, like, like y'all are crazy in uh-huh. the South. And I'm like, so all my Southern friends, like, we know how to read white people. Uh-huh. Like, I can read white people like a book. Yeah. And in the South, they're not hiding the words. Uh-huh. Like... There's no reading in between the lines. If you see somebody with a Confederate flag on their pickup truck, you then know you, their you know that you're not. They don't want to interact with you, and you don't want to interact with them. Right. In the North, it's like I can't tell if you're doing this because you're being weird or if you're being racist. Mm. 
And most times, like, it ends up just you being racist, but now I'm second-guessing myself. So, mm-hmm. like, if you don't like black people, I would prefer you just say, like, you know, right. throw out the Confederate flag. Go say ahead and do bitch. the Nazi flute, like, salute. Like, just be good. Like, yeah. you know what? Like, we gonna stay away from each other, uh-huh. and it's completely fine. But then they're, like, infinite amounts of microaggressions, which I, like, so, for example, like, the thing that tripped me out about the movie Get Out yeah. is how many times I've heard those exact Everything. phrases right. and, like, thought to myself, am I being sensitive or is this person racist? And, like, it was just, like, the most eye-opening thing that, like, so many people— Like, Jordan Peele obviously, like, gets it. Like, he gets it. Like, right. it's, it's like, uncanny the, like, how I was feeling, like, what kind of terror I was feeling because— uh, the main character wasn't picking up on the cues that was like making this terrifying. Right. You know? Right. So that like that's how I feel about the North. The North is get out and the South is like I don't know, Selma or right. some shit. Like yeah. <laughs> like just like outright discomfort or like you know that like if people are living in a certain neighborhood it's more than likely because they want to be segregated unto themselves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um or just like like the whole elite liberalism thing so like your politics are like technically right but like you still have like deep-seated yeah because when you get called out on your bullshit then all of a sudden it's like oh i'm trying to help and you just have to be an angry black woman or something exactly and in the south they're just like no like i'm yeah like we want to go back to the 50s because we were segregated like that's kind of our preference like we would they want a maga yeah no they really do want a maga like and that's just what they do I, I remember now what I was about to say. So, uh, have, have you ever read Ta-Nehisi Coates? Yeah. Yeah, so I read Ta-Nehisi Coates' last book, but I, I always forget the title, Between the World and Me? Or is, yeah, so one of the concepts that was, like, new to me, but that also just really struck a chord with, with me was, like, it was, it was so obvious, but I had never thought of it that, that like, white is a social construct, right? And, like, black mm-hmm. is a social construct. There's no such thing as a country called black or a country called white. But in America, the, th- the, the thing is, like, a, a European nationality can come over here and graduate to the social construct of whiteness. Mm-hmm. And so it's much easier to forget the scars of, like, you know, I hear Irish people talking about, oh, Irish people were slaves too, but that's fine. But in America— that shit is long forgotten. You know what I mean? Because you're now you're just a white person and the black community will never be able to graduate to this social construct of whiteness. So like those scars don't go away like that. And what's funny is like there's so much diversity within blackness in America. Right. Like, there are black people who like like my family don't have like a direct link back to the continent. And there are people who have created like smaller sub like cultures, mm-hmm. whether that be like Creole mm-hmm. um identity in New Orleans or Gullah Geechee in South Carolina but then still more they're Caribbean Americans so like people who are coming from Trinidad, Mm -hmm. Jamaica Jamaica, Barbados, Mm -hmm. they have a specific culture assigned to their island that they've brought along or like people who are actually coming from the continent so like Nigerians and Ghanaians and Kenyans like Ethiopians, huge Ethiopian community. All of us are black right? because America said we're black right? so like we're experiencing very similar things and we're, we may be responding to it slightly differently. Yeah. We might have other things that we can place value in, but like as a black American, like America's mine. Right. Like, this is what I have. This is what I've been given. And like, I'm trying to build the best America for all people. Right. But specifically for black and brown people, specifically for queer people, for lesbian people, for gay people, for trans people, for disabled people or differently able people. Like, I'm trying to everybody. Right. 
everybody has to be included or none of us are going to get free. Because, yeah, because we're not an equal nation until every until the most challenged person is equal to the most privileged person. Uh, yeah, Alan Kingdom, when we had him on the show, said something very profound to me. Uh, that, or they just that always stuck with me that like he was from Canada originally and his uh, folks, I, th- I believe his folks were like from Africa. And he said, when I was in Canada, I felt African. And when I moved to the States, I felt black. Right. You know, like that's a that's a big difference. The the, the deep seated racism in our country causes that, you know. Anyhow. All right. My mom tells me that I obsess over this too much. <laughs> but, uh, My mom probably says the same thing. Tell me about. Um, well, choosing UPenn, like what other schools did you think about and how did you end up there? What did you study? So until the time I was in the 10th grade, I thought I was going to be pre-med. And uh-huh. then in 10th grade, I went to this program called the Young Explorers at Ernst & Young. Uh-huh. Um, and it was all business. It was like marketing and finance and accounting and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, this is dope. Like, uh-huh. this is way better than learning about cells and all that. Memorizing biology stuff. Yeah. yeah, no, I just, I, I kind of took to it. Especially because, like, they're, like I, I'd always been good at math. Right. Um, So I kind of explained to my mom. I was like, hey, like love you a lot but I, I don't think this whole doctor thing is gonna work out like, mm-hmm. and as a 15 or 16 year old my mom is like whatever like we'll figure it out on the back end but like well yeah we'll talk mm-hmm. so i started researching um like the best undergraduate business programs wharton was on the, at the top at penn mm-hmm. uh it was ucla at the time and it was i believe nyu those mm-hmm. were like the top three um my mom was not having it, me go to L.A. for for college. She was like, you're never going to be able to come home. I'm definitely not going to be able to afford to get you back and forth. Chalk it. Right. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool, fine. Right, right. And then, um, so my mom uh, was briefly married to uh, this guy named Bernard, and he we're still relatively close. Shout out, Bernard. Yeah, shout out to Bernard. Um, it's like other father figure like I was referring to before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, there's no way that you're going to be 18 in New York, like, that just sounds like a problem. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so two of these are no longer an option. Right. Sounds like I'm going to apply to Penn. And, like, really amazing, like, serendipitous things kept happening. I went to um, this panel that, like, a couple of schools were doing um, at, like, a local hotel, of all things. It was, like, Georgetown, Penn, Harvard, Yale, Columbia, I think. And, like, I was, like, shaking hands with all the people like, trying to introduce myself. And the person that stuck out the most was this, like, very petite uh, black woman named Teron Tadal. Uh-huh. Shout out to Ron. Shout out to Ron. Um, and, like, we kept in touch. Uh-huh. She actually ended up visiting my high school to oh, do wow. the presentation for Penn. And I was like, these are start- things are starting to click. Right. Um, got my this SATs back. This is more back. than coincidence. Yeah, yeah, got my SATs back and was like, okay, this is probably a little bit more more feasible than I thought. Because, like, up until that point, people were like, yeah, you should try. You should go to an Ivy League school. You and just I was nailed like, the SATs? Yeah, like, I actually write, like, pretty rocked them out. Nice. It was, like, fire. Uh, it's, it's not si- out of 1,600 anymore, right? It's nah, 2,400? It's 2,400. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, and I almost got a perfect 1,600 on the math and reading part. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I was so ecstatic. I got a, I got 1,400 back when it was only out of 1,600. Yeah, let's get it. We smart. We smart What's out here. What's the third section now? Math writing. Oh, okay. oh, then I would have gotten... I, I'm good at writing. It was terrible. Really? It was my worst section. Really? Um, but anyhow... Yeah. Um, I was like, yeah, I'm probably just going to go to Chapel Hill, UNC Chapel Hill, like 
pretty, like, it's a decent school. Like, a lot of people from Charlotte end up going there. People have fun there. Great basketball team, yada, yada, yada. Also was thinking about going to Howard in D.C., historically black college. HBCU. Amazing, amazing campus. Like, super impactful for, like, and it's just, like, like it's legendary. Right. Howard's just this leg- legendary campus. Right. Applied. Uh, early decision for Penn because everybody kept telling me if you if you really want to go like your your odds are better uh-huh. um, and it shows that you really want to go there got in wow and it was just like one of the most amazing days ever uh, finding out that I got into Penn was so that was the only one you even had to apply to I applied to Chapel Hill and Howard you because did they okay, didn't, yeah, they yeah. weren't binding yeah. but once I found out yeah I I rescind, like I removed all my applications wow. was like I'm going that's tight that's it yeah. What was the move like? Was, was there any good bit of culture shock? Definitely some culture shock. Um, Philly isn't known for being like a very congenial place. Right. Like the whole brotherly love it's shit a, is a such a lie. Yeah, right. Um, and I've, coming I've, from somewhere in the South, like South, the, South, the South is, even if people are racist, they'll tell you good morning. Yeah, <laughs> it's right, crazy. right. But there's po- um, it's polite racist. Yeah, absolutely. It's like polite, like... I don't want to actually interact with you, yeah. but like pleasantries. Yeah, I'm, I'm still I'm, a, I'm still a debutante. Right. <laughs> I uh, my family's from uh, outside of Philadelphia, about an hour away, really? in a place called Easton. So I used oh, to go out. Yeah, I used to go out there a lot when I was a kid. Um, but you know, I haven't been out there since I was 16, so I don't really know the vibe anymore. But I know that like Philly's been going through it for the last Ooh. couple decades. Like it's it's a city that has kind of been going through tough times. Yeah, I mean, like between. Um, the Philadelphia school system kind of, like, leaving millions of students out to dry. The government just, like, pulling a lot of money from the city in general. Like, mm-hmm. it's just a very weird thing, especially for Philly to be the most important city in the entire state. Mm-hmm. Like, bar none. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. But um, definitely some culture shock. Um, even, like, academically, I think that, like, because, like I was telling you before— my primary and secondary education were so, like people were invested in right. like making sure that I had everything I needed. And Penn was a place where most of the students came from like prep schools, private schools, et cetera. So that like they knew how to advocate for themselves in a way that I never had to do. Mm. And like definitely they were more equipped to teach themselves. Mm. And I think that one of the most amazing things that I've, I've ever been given are great teachers and Penn is is completely like vacant of great teachers wow like, professors don't teach you shots fired yes absolutely yeah shots fired Wh- boom wow. like <laughs> at least at least in Wharton like they really yeah. do expect you to learn it yourself right um, the business school is not a place where like you're being edified or like it, it's just not a place for Handholding. Hand, it's not. It's not even like I don't even want to say handholding yeah. because like I didn't come out of pen with like a, a two point five or right. a two point two. Like I came out with decent grades. It's yeah. just the fact that like I feel like I should have learned more mm. in my degree than I actually did Here, in my minor classes. Yeah. Like in my Africana studies classes, I can tell you, uh, fucking Africana and feminist theory like out the ass now. Uh. But like in a business sense, like I've gotten more since being a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania than I ever got while during my four years there. Huh. That's interesting. As an older guy who's been so like, I've been out of college now for 15 years ago I graduated. To play devil's advocate, it makes me wonder if like the outlook is 
I feel like I learned more outside of college than I ever learned in college as well. Like the real experience is like what taught me or, or like you come out like I came out of college thinking I knew everything and then had to like reset that and go, oh, no, you're actually learning while you're on the job. I, it almost makes me wonder, like, is that the college outlook now? Is like, oh, throw them to the wolves and let them teach themselves because that's how you learn the best, you know? But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I, I think that, like, they did a decent job of, like, giving me theories yeah. that, like, kind of can inform decisions later on. But right. I think that, like, something that is, like, being, like like I said, I'm in higher education now. Something that's being uh, debated at, at length is uh, the curve and, like, how competition aids or detracts from like the entire learning experience mm-hmm. because if you're just fighting each other to get a grade rather than really being invested in the course material are you really gaining what you're supposed to be gaining out of right. that course right um so well, yeah and like, that just ties into the whole educational attitude of america with standardized right. testing and everything exactly. like our, our country is kind of behind the times with education in general i feel like there are countries like poland uh that that it's funny because poland has this traditional uh or, or like this old uh stereotype about you know polacks being dumb people but now their education system is one of the best in the world and like we're not wow. learning anything from them you know uh, yeah anyway. no like i'm i i am i would be a lot more hopeful for our education system education system mm-hmm. if our current secretary of education wasn't an imbecile yeah oh agreed my, my mom's a lifelong educator she's uh she's retired uh elementary school teacher and counselor and uh she's and she lives in alaska which is a you know it's a red state but my mom was out there making phone calls to the senators about like fuck betsy devos not in those words sorry mom i know you would never say that but like <laughs> you know i was like mom you gotta call murkowski and get the and make her vote against devos yeah. Well, so that brings me to my next question. Um, at Penn, since, you, since it is such a liberal school um, and clearly towards the e- probably the end of the time that you were in school, that's when all this kind of like new sh- – it's not new. It's age-old shit, but it's like somebody shook up the snowball or the snow globe and like is just all this messy racism coming back out in America because of the Donald Trump election. Uh, did you get involved in activism? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there is a group on Penn's campus called Soul. Uh-huh. Um, planned, executed actions like protests – um, like Spelled more the same artistic. way your name is? Like S-O-L-E? No, S-O-U-L, S-O-U-L, actually. Okay. Students Organizing for Unity and Liberation. Okay. Um, yeah, so, like, thinking of actions to um, push back on a lot of the institutional racism, mm-hmm. um, protesting um, the public, the very public um, black death that we've been experiencing for mm-hmm. the past couple years at... Uh, at like a, a level of awareness that I don't think has ever been right. Um, it's always been happening, but with the internet is helping at least spread the word and make it more apparent of how like right. I I think I think and that's my naive uh, naivete. Mm-hmm. Um, before Trayvon, I was like, this is crazy. Like, why is this happening? Like when Trayvon happened, I mean, mm-hmm. um, it was like an eye opener because like I'd heard of Amadou Diallo and I'd heard of Sean Bell, but yeah, Emmett like, Till. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like you think of those as like, oh, that like that's a one off or like yeah. that's like an isolated incident, or that's that's just old school. Like things were different. Exactly. Then. Um, and I think that for a lot of us, um, people in my age group, like people who were born in the nineties, mm-hmm. um, like we are in this weird predicament where like. For the most part, we, we've been engaging with whiteness our entire lives, um, and like very, like at least pop culture, 
it's something that is constant, right? So, mm-hmm. like, we've been ensconced in right. white culture, but also we're in this space where our blackness is also being attacked. Mm-hmm. And, like, we're—I think, at least for me, I'm seeing myself as a part of a larger African diaspora where, like, if black Muslim people are hurting, then I'm hurting. Mm-hmm. Or if— um people are like people are like hurting in Ethiopia mm-hmm. because of like human trafficking I'm hurting mm-hmm. or if like if a black trans woman is killed then I'm hurting like that's just not like I, I don't get to compartmentalize anymore which I it, I think is definitely like hard on your mental health but like also very important for you to realize that you're a part of like a larger framework mm-hmm. and um on campus sorry Get, like, got away from the question. It's okay. On campus, like, yes, we, we were protesting. Um, one of the actions that I um, was really passionate about was um, student financial aid at Penn. They were, at a certain point, they were advertising Penn as, like, a no-loan policy. Completely not true. Mm-hmm. Um, kids were coming to Penn and, and leaving with, like, 50 grand in debt, mm-hmm. which for maybe for someone else isn't that big of a deal, but, like, for young black people— That could be a lifelong debt. First-generation college students, uh, low socioeconomic students. $50,000 is a lot of money, and Penn's endowment is entirely too large for that to be happening Mm -hmm. at such a consistent rate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like, I definitely got involved with activism. Um, Still involved, but uh, definitely to a lesser extent, and I'm trying to get back. I think that the one thing that I'm learning about adulthood is, like, prioritizing everything and, like— just dealing with all of life, I never could have imagined just, like, how difficult that shit is. Like, <laughs> shout out to my parents. Yeah. Shout out to, like, all the adults out here adulting. Like, yeah. gold star. Right. Like, it's just, like, way more difficult to, like, be a civic-minded, politically, like, well-versed, active person. Yeah. In addition to being just like a regular, degular, schmegular human being. Right. Then, but also like, being think, a creative, also being as empathetic as you are, all, like juggling all those things very difficult. Well, what I will say is wait 10 more years until you start going like, well, oh, what is this really all for? Like, Because that's what's next. It's like, yeah, first you're in your 20s oh, and you man. get out of college and you go, oh, what am I doing to achieve my goals? And then you go, and then you get to like your mid 30s and you go, I achieved a bunch of goals. What the fuck else goals do I have? What am I supposed to do for the next 40 years? You <laughs> oh, know? man. It, it's it's. I, I'm just getting to that point where I'm starting to understand the midlife crisis because I always thought that was so goofy. And now I'm like, oh, wait, no, I get it. Like, you achieve a bunch of stuff when you're younger, and then you go, what, what, what's left yeah, to achieve? Yeah, what's left to achieve? Yeah. Wow. But anyhow. Um, I'm trying to get there, man. You will. Um, <laughs> uh, we, You know, this has been an amazing conversation. I uh, thank you for it. Uh, we haven't even talked about music yet, so we'll close off just kind of talking about, like, let's let's talk about Ivy Soul, the musician. Sure. How, when did you start um, making music and, and uh, or, or, like, at least to put out in the world that way? And um, tell me about that path. So I was super inspired, believe it or not, by Mac Miller. Really? Um when I was like 16, he came out with his tape. No um, shit, I would have never guessed that. Kool Aid and frozen pizza. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And I was like, this motherfucker can't even rap that. He's fire now. Yeah, yeah. Like he, like his artistry has like fucking. Skyrocket. He definitely went through a very public renaissance period, Ooh. right? Yeah. Goddamn. But yeah. I was like, this motherfucker can't even rap that well. If he can do this shit. I can definitely do this right. shit. And I was already writing poetry, spoken word, all that. I, you can hear that in your Uh-oh. in your uh, cadence that you come from a poetry background. Yeah. Yeah. So like I was like watching you know Def Jam poetry on YouTube and yeah. like getting like slowly but surely getting into like. um backpack rap and like starting to like like, who my teenage my teenage years was really me figuring out that i didn't have to listen to the radio okay um shout out to limewire yeah um put me on to prince put me on to soldier boy back then yeah uh that's when like the wayne tapes were um were dropping and whatnot yeah um and the the album that changed my whole my whole shit was below the heavens by blue blue and exile yeah um Forwards and backwards. Yeah, no, absolutely. Shout out to Blue. Blue, you changed my life, man. Uh, Yeah, so I got put onto that um, by a friend. um, And I was like, man, like, I didn't realize you could talk about this type of shit on on Wax. Like, I was like, he's talking about his depression on um, Dancing in the Rain. Uh Or, like, talking about very, like, the minutia of love Uh on No Greater Love. Or talking about losing his grandparents on um in remembrance of me and like being scared to die. And I was like, damn, like, yeah, dog, like yeah, me too. Yeah. Like, sheesh, like we're on the same page right now. Right. And uh then like a lot of my homies started like tinkering with beats, like started downloading fruity loops yep. for free and That's like the all the rips. Yeah. Um started hanging out a lot with my homeboy Miles. Shout out Miles. Shout out Miles. <laughs> um who right now is like a producer and a photographer for Ray Shrimmer, which is crazy. No shit. Yeah. Um, I love Ray Shrimmer. You and me both, man. Um, Mike Will made it. Shout out Mike Will made yeah. it. Shout out the whole the whole Ear Drummers crew. Yeah. Um, yeah. He started making beats and needed people to hop on them, and I was like, I mean, like, yeah, like let's do it. Um, actually made two tapes, terrible tapes. Whew, Lord have mercy, they're awful. Um, but it, like I appreciate them now because. I think that a lot of people lack creative confidence, and that's not something I ever lacked. I think that— So I, you put them out yeah. into the world? Have you since removed them from the world? Yeah. <laughs> that's good. That's a smart move. Go Ooh, ahead. It's, impor- it's important to make those early tapes, but it's also very important to realize like when they're shit. Oh, no, yeah. Like, yeah. like six months afterwards, I was like, this is terrible. Some people, never, rea- some people never realize that they're shit. No. Oh, I'm so happy that my early works are not on the internet at all, you know? like. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm an internet kid for sure, yeah. but I also definitely, like, appreciate the fact that I've had people in my life that will hold me accountable. Yeah. So, like, even Ethan will be like, hey, bro, like, you got to do that take again. I know you thought that shit was lit, but I don't know about that. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, so made two tapes um, and then started, like, doing uh, some music and, like, collectives and groups and stuff when I was in college. Mm -hmm. Had a group called Liberal Arts, had a group called Into Gold. And then when I graduated, I was like, look, either you're going to do the shit now or you're not going to do the shit. Because, like, we can't keep towing the line. You can't keep pussyfooting around. Right actually creating some shit that you want to actually play for people because well, yeah because like to try and fail is better to have never tried at all Amen. and you sometimes you just gotta like you yeah. gotta stop dipping your toes in the water and jump in the deep end yeah and like to like i had already like it, it wasn't like my my network didn't see the value in me like right. they, they were like 
we're just waiting on you to put it out. Right. Uh, real quick, I also just want to say like shout out to the name Liberal Arts because I feel like that's like <laughs> I feel like everybody's been in a crew called Liberal, liberal Arts at some point or like something similar to that where it's like, yo, this is so clever. And then you look back and you're like, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but um, yeah, so then I made Eden, which dropped in April of 2016. Mm-hmm. So just about like just over a year ago mm-hmm. um, and then dropped East, uh, the EP in November or no February, February this year so like a year between and that's the one that I found out uh, about you from um, word, word. because and actually it's funny because one of our last music guests was Dave East and the way that I found Dave East even though I'd heard his name before I hadn't really bothered to check it his feature on oh you mean Dave B or Dave B I'm sorry I'm calling it Dave I said Dave B. but on that tape uh, I heard Dave B and uh I'd heard his name, but not like checked his stuff. And then I heard the song that you guys did together. And I was like, oh my God, both of these people are amazing. Who is this? And so, yeah, that tape is fantastic. And it's short, it's short and sweet, like maybe like what, 25 minutes long, half hour? Yeah, it's just, yeah, uh, yeah I think it's right at 25. Yeah. And uh, it's great. I mean, like, you're, yeah, you're so talented. And I, and I, like we talked about uh, off mic before, like, you're, you're at that age where like you are, you're just learning so much about the world right now in general. And this is that time where like one of for uh, so many people that I know, the only catharsis is like putting it in into songs and putting yeah. it out in the world. And, and so, you know, there's a reason that historically so much great music has come from people that are right in the middle of their 20s. It's because like you're just getting mature enough to like. Uh, not be a child, but you're also, you know, still you have the curiosity and learning uh, about the world that that can portray to such profound realizations on on record, you know? Yeah, I just I honestly think that um, East is my baby. Like, I think Eden was like a beautiful start. Uh Obviously, I was hoping it was going to be a beautiful start uh, naming it Eden. But East is like me really just finally catching a tempo, catching Mm -hmm. like what I wanted to say on wax, like in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's always going to hold like a really special place in my heart just because like, first of all, I feel like I'm wrapping my ass off. Right. And then like, I think that me and this producer Cam Dayla really did create a vibe. So, is, is that who produced the whole tape? Uh, every track except deep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he did a great job. Uh, the beat for life. That's the song's called life with Davey, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that beat is like, that that's a real winner. Like Thank you. He, he did great think, on that. Yeah, we uh so the way that we were working is that yeah. I would literally just go to his basement um every week. Yeah. For like I think it was like a three or month, four month period. Every yeah. Tuesday night. You could catch me seven PM uh-huh. in South Jersey, Collingswood, uh or Cherry Hill. Uh-huh. Um and Shout out Dirty Jers. No, yeah, shout out to the Jers. <laughs> um Yeah, so like I we would bring I would bring him references and like he would start playing something on keys and I'd be like okay a little bit colder than that uh-huh. and he'd play something a little bit colder and then I'd be like okay like that's a, that's a decent you know that's a decent start for the melody yeah um and then we would like mirror the vibe that we got from the references into this new track and like he's a, he's an amazing keyboardist and then like just like bringing in the sprinkles of like mm-hmm. direction mm-hmm. is where I found myself. I'm producing a lot more on my future projects. Mm-hmm. Like the next project I have 
two beats, like two of the beats are my own. But when uh, you say colder, do you in your head do you see bluer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you got a little synesthesia stuff going. A little bit, a little yeah, bit. Hey, same. I just wanted to. I I wanted the. I wanted East to be blue. Yeah. I want East to like encapsulate all the. Well, and that's the, interesting because the video you shot is like mainly in blue hues, and yeah, it does. Do, it feels I do like all a, the treatments for my videos. Yeah. Like I do. Like I'm. I'm kind of. A control freak in that way, I guess. That's good. I mean, I th- I think as an artist, it's an imp- it's important to hold the reins on your work because your work is your reputation, and your reputation is all you have. And so, l- I, the biggest mistakes I've made in my career when I used to rap w- were trusting others too much to portray mm. my vision, and then people get an idea of who you are and what your art is that are incorrect, and it's because right. you let someone else do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Um. So, yeah, I was just, like, like that partnership, me and Cam, like, I think that we make really dope shit, and I'm going to continue to work with him in the future. Yeah. Um, the next project is, like, kind of, like, more of a hodgepodge of different sounds, but, like... Is it another so, EP or is it an OP? It's an EP. Okay. Um, and you it's already like the, finished yeah, it's, it? it's done. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> um, it's the sister project to East. It's yeah. called West. It's, right. like, kind of an homage to growing up on the West Side. And I was going to say, are those references living, to Charlotte? Yeah, living in West Philly. Yeah. And then serendipitously driving from the East Coast to the West Coast this past and week. S- staying in West Hollywood. Staying in West Hollywood. A lot of Wests. West Side, West Side, West Side. You know? Um yeah, well, shit, man. I mean, this was awesome, and I think we got it. I think we did what we came to do. Yay! So, t- before we get out of here, tell the people where to find you online. You can find me at Ivy Soul, I V Y S O L E, on all platforms, whether it be Twitter, Instagram, Bandcamp. Shout out to Bandcamp, SoundCloud, Apple Music, Spotify, Title, and IvySoul.com for tour dates because I'm going on tour in August. Nice. Who are you going out with? Um, Rag and Bone Man, which is like, not familiar. he's this crazy, he's basically the male Adele. Wow. Yeah, like it's wild. Wow. Um, so you can catch me in LA on August the 10th at the Fonda Theater. Wow, you're playing Bone the Fonda? Man. Yeah, man. Damn, that's great. I never got to play the Fonda. That's sick. It's crazy. That's a big, that's a big spot. I think 1500 cap, 1300 cap. Hopefully my knees don't go too weak. Yeah. <laughs> You'll do great. Do you get to play, do you get to perform a lot? Uh, I perform a decent amount, but because I do, I have I, I'm a, I'm a regular daily schmegly person. Like right. I, I definitely have a nine to five. Yeah, of course. Um, I don't get to tour quite as much as I would hope, right. but I think it's gonna start gearing up soon. Is there a scene in Philly? Like a, definitely like, a scene in Philly. Yeah. Shout out to Rec Philly. Yeah. Um, Rec Philly is doing a lot of amazing things in the city, putting on for independent artists. Yeah. Um. And a lot of just, like, smaller promoters and, like, people who are putting on shows themselves, which is a really dope community to be a part of. Yeah, shout out Working on Dying. Do you know those guys? Working on Dying. I feel like I have heard of There's them. these guys. I went to the craziest show <laughs> two nights ago. There's, really? There's this little kid from Philly, like, literal little kid from Philly named Matt Ox. Have you heard oh, of him? Oh, yeah, Matty Ox. I have heard of him, man. He had his first L.A. show. And oh, it was shit. huge. I, I, I was, bet. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, yeah, Working on Dying is the crew that from <laughs> Philly that, that works with him. Wild. It was interesting. Um, so there are there are local shows that you can go get your performance chops up at. Sure. Uh, that's perfect. That's Absolutely. fantastic. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, guys, the, Ivy Soul gets the official kind of neat cosign. Go check out East on Bandcamp. And I will say, like, the, it's it's pretty funny, like that it's on Bandcamp because it's totally like the meme of, of uh, SoundCloud versus Bandcamp. I would say you fit on the Bandcamp side. Yeah. It's it's heady music. It's smart and it's well thought out and it's and it's 
melodically beautiful and it's it is i mean you bringing up uh um the blue and exile record like that's a fitting kind of like comparison point Thank that's you. that's oh, the man. that's you're, the you're gassing me right nah, now I, i'm just saying like oh. if you're going to compartmentalize the sounds those two they, they would fit in a playlist together you know i appreciate uh, it yeah most definitely so uh yeah go check her out and with that being said i got to get into my socials which i haven't done in a month and a half and so it's gonna it's gonna be rusty but my name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me at It's Intuition. Follow my man, Ben Shin, behind the boards, making the shit sound buttery, at I Am Database, based with two S's. You can follow us at as a unit, at Kinda Neat. Uh, super official. YouTube.com slash Kinda Neat, where you are going to see Ivy Soul perform Lost. Indeed. Indeed. And uh, everything wrapped up in a pretty package on kindaneat.net. Um, we just redesigned that site a little while ago and now there's like, instead of like traditional comments, you can comment on Facebook on there. So if you listen to the podcast and you feel like saying something about it, go to kindaneat.net, look for Ivy soul and type in a little comment. And I think it'll like plug us into the Facebook atmosphere. Who the fuck knows? Um, there's also facebook.com slash kindaneat. And don't forget if you are still listening at this point, we now have kindaneat dad hats. Like I've joined the dad hat trend. Oh, look at it. Very swaggy. Oh, oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Slick. So you can go to kindaneat.net and hit the shop button and hit one of those. That being said, my name's Lee. That was Ivy Soul, and this was officially Kinda Neat. <laughs>